You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. This is Annie Rose Malamet, and you're listening to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. I'm joined today by a very, very special guest, one of my oldest friends since seventh grade for me, eighth grade for you, Julia Levine. Hi, Julia. Hi. <laughs> Where I think you can get a little closer to the mic. Sure. Hi. Um, Julia, I've known you since I was 12 years old. <laughs> And how did we meet? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was buying lunch on the lunch line at the cafeteria. And next to me, to my left, there was a young lady by the name of Annie Rose Malamet who was wearing (laughs) some really cool plaid, like, trip, like, bondage pants with the straps. (laughs) And I complimented you on them. I said, oh, hey, I love your pants. And you were like, oh, thanks. And then an intruder <laughs> upon our conversation to my other side or something like that was this girl in your grade. I don't know if I should no, don't name, her, name. her name. But she was like, oh, don't encourage her. And I turned to her and I was like, I wasn't talking to you. And she was shocked. Yeah. And, and the, you were just like, I think they're really cool. Yeah. And I was like, so it was like such a classic <laughs> moment. Like it was like out of like a, some kind of teen like show or something. Yeah. Seriously. It was a very special episode. Exactly. <laughs> and we've been friends ever since then. Cause yeah. I was like, Oh, it's another punk girl. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And you were also so tall. I, I still am. I felt like you were so cool. Um, And then Julie and I just have had a very special friendship ever since then where we always have sleepovers and watch horror movies. Mm -hmm. And I don't get to see her often uh, because you live in uh, Santa... San Diego. San Diego. (laughs) I was going to say Santa Barbara. Um, San Diego. (laughs) Because you live in San Diego. Clearly, I, like, don't... 
you can't see you that often. No. Um, but the last time I saw you was like 2017. Yeah. So we're hanging out. Julia's visiting. We're hanging out at my parents' house. <laughs> Just like the old days. It's Just, actually very, very nostalgic and soothing to me. Yeah. It's really sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We are going to talk today about one of those movies that we were obsessed with and continue to be obsessed with, 1987's The Lost Boys, directed by Joel Schumacher. Um, And if you couldn't tell by now, I'm extremely stoned, (laughs) so I'm pulling through, doing my best. I'm usually a touch high when I (laughs) record these episodes, but uh, more than usual tonight. One took over the line, (laughs) as it were. Yeah, as it were. As it were. Um, So, Julia, tell me about the first time you saw The Lost Boys and what you felt. Oh, and also tell me who you are and what you do. Okay. (laughs) As as for who I am, um, I am a former New Yorker who's been living in San Diego for the past four years. I am a practicing witch and a dancer, uh, a dancer of size. So that's always fun. And um, that's pretty much what I do. That's (laughs) That's so many great check marks there. Uh, (laughs) So... Before I, you know, had a, a stoner moment, um, when did you first see The Lost Boys and what did you feel when you saw it? Like, what did, why, why did you become obsessed with it? You know, I can't really pinpoint why I became obsessed with it, only I suppose in hindsight it probably was a sign of my own queerness that took me a lot of my life, a long portion of my life to really fully realize. Um, it was something that my... I was way too young to see this. I was like probably around seven years old. Um, One of my childhood best friends, Keely, uh, she had the cool house where you can watch rated R movies and the parent, like her parents didn't mind. And she, I think showed me the lost boys and her and I both mutually became obsessed with it as like little girls. We would watch it every year on her birthday, which was in July as children, (laughs) as children to show it to other little girls too. We were like, yay. And I remember initially being a bit frightened of the more violent portions because my parents didn't let me see rated R movies. So I was, you know, a little more sensitive to them than Keely and her siblings were. Um, but I just was, there's something so compelling about it. I just returned to it again and again. And at this point it's become a great comfort to me. And it's, probably the movie I've watched the most times out of any movie in my life and my obsession with it is practically like sort of embarrassing (laughs) but you know that's why I know like quite a good bit about the film yeah Julia is like um essentially our local Lost Boys historian (laughs) and she was like dropping knowledge on me like the whole time we were watching the movie that I didn't know about and I've seen this film so many times like I watch it whenever it's on TV mm-hmm. but this was the first time that I had uh, watched it like with a lot of attention and focus in a long time um, so it was interesting to have your perspective while we were watching it so Julia you know a lot about the making of this movie so like we said it's directed by Joel Schumacher mm-hmm. starring um, <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland mm-hmm. uh, Jamie Gertz. Yes. Yes. She played star, one of the two women, well, three women kind of, but really two women in the film. Um, We have Jason Patrick as Michael, 
uh, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. This was actually the first movie that they had the Corys, as it were. This is where they actually met each other, was working on The Lost Boys. And Jameson Newlander playing the less famous frog brother. <laughs> um, and I don't remember off the top of my head who plays the little boy vampire but but you did say that he still does the horror convention rounds he does i'm sure here let me look at let me look at imdb for a second yeah um give him his due give him his due the man goes to the horror counts he meets the crazy lost boys fan (laughs) the only reason he hasn't met me yet is because (laughs) i haven't gone to the conventions i suppose um you need to go how do we get you there go right i I don't know. Wish and a prayer. Chance Michael Corbett. Okay. So I apologize, Chance Michael Corbett. I will if apologize to you in person Chance one day. Michael Corbett, if you happen to be listening to Girls Guts and <laughs> We're sorry. So anyway, what else about the making of the movie? It's from 1987. Right. It's from 1987. It was originally envisioned to be more of a Goonies style movie. Uh, Richard Donner, who, uh, you know, did the Goonies or produced it. Producer directed. I don't. I don't know as much about the Goonies as I do about the Lost Boys. So you'll have to forgive the that. The Goonies is not like adult enough for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like it for nostalgic reasons. But anywho, Richard Donner was attached uh, to do like sort of a another type of Goonies style film. It was supposed to be with much younger cast, uh, more around the character of Sam's Corey Haim's age, or possibly even a bit younger. And eventually, that idea got scrapped, and they decided to rewrite it with sexy young teenage vampires. And this was actually one of the first movies to really combine horror and comedy, which at the time they were like, that's crazy. You can't do that. But it worked pretty well, uh, as its cult status, you know, suggests. Um, And Joel Schumacher lent his gay gaze to the whole film. And it gives it... We'll get into it. Such a great lens. We'll get into it. It's a good lens to be in. (laughs) Yeah. So the movie takes place in like a fictional beach town named Santa Clara. Carla. Carla. <laughs> we'll keep it in. People should know how stupid I am. Santa Carla, which is based on Santa Cruz. Yeah. Filmed in Santa Cruz. Filmed in Santa Cruz, which at this time was also kind of known as the murder capital of the US. Yeah, there was a lot of serial killings and murders that had happened throughout, you know, the seventies and into the eighties and so the reason it's called Santa Carla, instead of just straight up admitting it's Santa Cruz, which it obviously is, is that the Santa Cruz tourism board was like, we don't want to be associated with the murder capital of the world any more than we already are. Like, yeah. You know, so they had to fudge it. And now it's Santa Carla. Okay. So anything else about the making of the movie before we get start to get into the plot? Like what else? What are some other major... Um, uh, to what, in what sense? Like, it's a good, po- it's a good question. <laughs> it's a fair question. <laughs> well, I know, uh, Keeper Sutherland, he broke his wrist riding his motorcycle. So there, he starts uh, popping up with gloves on more in some of the latter scenes because he had broken his wrist. Oh, interesting. Uh, and they used his leather gloves to kind of cover up his cast. What else? Like I said, the Corys actually became friends during the making of this film because they kind of had a rivalry up until that point as the, because like Corey Haim, I think was coming up and Corey Feldman was already a star. And he was like, who is this like young other Corey, like (laughs) coming in on the Corey turf? Like his friends would tease him, like another Corey's moving in on your turf. And they kind of like had an ambient rivalry and then they became friends while making this movie. And and then they became the Corey's that people know about as like a little 
cultural touchstone of the 80s. Yeah. Um, and this movie is, in my mind, has a ton of gay subtext, which I think is intentional, <laughs> which we're going to get into. Yeah. Uh, it's not a particularly... It, it's not, it wasn't controversial when it came out, like when it, it got really positive reviews. So this is one of the, like a, a lot of the time on this podcast, we talk about movies that generated a lot of controversy. This was not one of them, but the themes in it are, it's just an interesting little time capsule, like of this homoerotic, <laughs> like <laughs> boiling pot like <laughs> oh my god really spilling over <laughs> and it comes out it was also at a unique moment in history when we're like at the height of the AIDS epidemic so let's start to get into talking about the movie the plot so the movie opens right away with these POV shots that the uh, that Lost Boys is really known for, um, where we have like a POV of flying over the ocean and it's nighttime and the the theme of the Lost Boys the theme music is playing <laughs> Cry Little Sister and. The next thing we see are these really sexy vampire boys. Yes, I wrote down they look like romance novel cover models. Yeah. Like Fabio, but 80s punk. Just like slinking through this carousel, (laughs) like presumably looking for their next victim. Mm. Um, And my my horrible crass note here is vamp boys at the carousel. We see Kiefer Sutherland and his band of facts. I mean, <laughs> so and, um, <laughs> don't you know? Take whatever I say with a grain of salt because I was on one when I wrote these notes. Um, <laughs> they get into some kind of scuffle, mm-hmm. and the security guard on the carousel breaks it up. Yes, he fights with one of the credited in the films, one of the surf Nazis, which was going to be more of a plot point in the film. But they cut most of the scenes down to pretty much this beginning portion, and then the scene later on the beach that we'll get to so they have a scuffle and then when the when the rent-a-cop comes over my note was oppressed by the man man yeah he has that vibe he's like holding them and like they're struggling yeah and you know already (laughs) like these tough boys there's a tension already there's There's a tension yeah exactly (laughs) and then we get another pov flying shot where presumably the security guard is killed off screen Mm -hmm. by the lost boys lost boys also is a reference to peter pan which i think you had said earlier yes so that when that was going to be made for like with a younger cast it was really going to be themed as like a sort of modern retelling of peter pan and that's why where lost boys started to come into the thing because the idea of Peter Pan and vampire children turn into you know just the idea of never growing old when you're a bit older like as a teenage youth or like a young adult um so now it's daytime Mm -hmm. and we meet uh Michael Sam and their mother Lucy they're driving down the road uh there's kind of a goof here because the ocean is on the wrong side because they're supposedly driving up from Phoenix to California so the ocean is on the wrong side of the car but we'll let it go um and that's we meet these three characters and they're talking about like something has gone wrong in their life and they're they're fleeing away to Southern California and they 
uh, they, we pass the sign for Santa Carla and we get that really iconic sequence of the doors. People are strange playing. Mm -hmm. And there's this really amazing montage of all of the punks and goths and freaks of Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. And Julia, you were saying that they specifically put out a casting call. Yeah. Pretty much a, a casting call for hippie freaks and like weirdos. And, uh, they want it as like extras in the film and people came in droves. And so, you know, the, the really awesome, like punk alternative hippie queer kind of youth scene that we see there is partially manufactured. I mean, those people were from the area presumably, but they probably weren't usually there in this sort of concentrated numbers. Yeah. And I always love that sequence because you get to really see like some legit, alt 80s fashions like fully on display so cool um we also see these missing children posters ominously around Mm -hmm. the city and we arrive at grandpa's house which is like a very eccentric beach cabin with a Mm -hmm. bunch of weird shit in the front yard and our first we the first time we meet grandpa he's playing dead and so we and there then he comes back comes back to life yeah they come over and they're like and and you know, uh, Diane Weiss character is like, dad, dad. And he's, and he just like pops up and scares them. And yeah, by the way, do you know, um, some, oh my God, I keep forgetting the actor who plays Michael. Oh, Jason Patrick. Jason Patrick. What other things was he in at this point? He had been in a movie previously with Jamie Gertz, actually, who plays Star, called Solar Babies. And he actually brought her into the film because they had worked together on that film. I've never seen Solar Babies. I've seen pictures of the two of them in it. And they were wearing these, like, 80s, like, semi-futuristic workout clothes. It looks really cheesy. It it seems to have, like, a sci-fi bent to it with with the solar and all that. Um, And the babies. Yeah, and the babies, you know, future babies, whatever. Um... But yeah, that's how the J- Jason Patrick brought Jamie Gertz in on this project is he he was like not really that known yet. Probably the biggest star on that cast at the time was maybe Corey Feldman or Kiefer Sutherland. Because Corey was was a very famous actor at the time. And Kiefer Sutherland had also been in Stand By Me. Yes. With Corey Feldman. Yes, yes. Okay, so other connections there too. Mm-hmm. And in case you didn't know, Kiefer, I mean, everybody who's listening, Kiefer Sutherland is the son of Donald Sutherland. Yeah who's also been in some great horror movies, mm-hmm. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Don't oh, Look yeah. Now. Um, and Diane Weist, what else has she done at that point? I don't really know as much. I, cause, you know, I, I feel terrible saying this because I love Diane Weist, but she always kind of plays the same character. So to yeah, she's me, always like a mom. She's always the mom, like the, the kind of like sweet, like mousy, but like really kind-hearted yeah. mother figure or, you know what have you. So I have trouble tracking it because I, I know that Edward Scissorhands chronologically came after, but she always yes. is, she's always like sweet mom. Yeah. I, I think I think of her more in the nineties with mm-hmm. Edward Scissorhands and yeah. um, the birdcage. Oh, the birdcage too. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we meet grandpa and uh, my other note here and they're like moving in with him because they're broke. Diane yes. Weist, she's, you know, talking about how she's gotten a divorce and mm-hmm. she's broke and she needs to move back in with her father yeah. and her son. And my other note here was like, this is when things between Corey Haim and Jason Patrick uh, started to get really homoerotic. It, it, it does, like, I hate to say it, but like, it does have that kind of vibe. Like, there's a bit of like physical closeness 
and like casual, like closeness between them. That's just, I never noticed it really before this viewing, but it is a little odd. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're like any excuse to touch each other and they look like a couple and they look like they have like a daddy boy relationship. (laughs) Um, and it, it, you know, Straight men are pretty are some of the most homoerotic people out there. Oh, absolutely. So it's you know I don't know what Joel Schumacher was going for here. I think he just wanted an excuse to like watch them touch each other. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a proud yeah. gay man, and at the time he probably wasn't really out. But Corey Haim was like a child. That's true. <laughs> but <laughs> but this is I mean this is something to talk about like Corey Haim and Corey Feldman were being heavily exploited. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's I mean that's probably the the one of the milder if that is any sort of intent. I mean of course I'm speculating. Don't see me Joel Schumacher. But like it would have been one of the more mild and pleasant experiences that poor Corey Haim had in his life. Well, he said actually that it was one of the best shoots of his life. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people had, it's from what I read, I, you know, a lot of the factoids I keep spouting out about the Lost Boys, I actually learned from this book um, that is really hard to find. But if you're a Lost Boys fan, you ever see this book, uh, Lost in the Shadows, the story of the Lost Boys by Paul Davis. Uh, it's, it was published a few years ago by this UK like cult cinema like sort of book company and it has like all these really rare photos and interviews and I found that when I read through the book as of course I have done because um, <laughs> like most people will be like that's a coffee table like, no I fucking read the thing <laughs> um, everyone seemed to have a really high opinion of Joel like everyone seemed he made to seem everyone feel really comfortable people really felt that they were given enough artistic license to really work with the characters like Joel got really like people only said really sweet things about him um who worked on this movie well that's good yeah he's apparently a a pretty good director to have uh then the next scene it just the gay factor just gets (laughs) real amped up because we are at the 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 boardwalk and Tim Capello, better known as Saxman, is belting out one of the classics of the movie. I still believe. Yes. Shirtless and greased up. Greased up abs, long hair, <laughs> ponytail. Ponytail, tight fetish wear. Fetish wear. Yeah. No, he's yeah. wearing fetish wear over like purple spandex pants. Yeah. And the saxophone. <laughs> And he's hip thrusting with such gusto yes. that one should weep to see it. <laughs> I still believe. <laughs> I mean, he's an icon and he is everyone's sexuality and he is. I mean, he has everything. Like, they're watching him like a god in the audience. I know. A god I, amongst men. I love how it's just a given, also. Like, they, <laughs> yeah. No one, like, the, 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 like, overt queerness of it. And everyone, all these, like, you know, rock kids in the crowd are like, yeah, man, like, devil horns. Yeah, like, it's the best shit ever. Like, it's Motley Crue. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, like, so unapologetically bizarre. There's, and, like, a, there's a, a dissonance, a real dissonance. Yeah. I mean, it's the, that's the other thing though. Like in the eight, the eighties were so homoerotic all over. I mean, everything is all the time, but 
these like beefcake muscle guys. Like this is when we start to get like hard. The eighties is when we get these these hard body archetypes and like fitness culture mm. and all of that stuff was happening at this time. Um, and then in the nineties we move into like heroin chic and all that mm-hmm. stuff, and we move a little bit away from that, though kind of in the same vein. So it really speaks to that aesthetic in some ways. Um, and didn't you also say so? Michael C. Star, mm-hmm. Jamie Gertz for the first time. Yes. And he's like looking at her longingly. And didn't you say that originally he was supposed to be looking at Tim Capella? <laughs> no, no, it was just a fan edit. Someone like re edited that scene on the internet so that those intense fuck me eyes he's giving Jamie Gertz and Star are actually directed at like the sax man that he's like staring at that, that like intensity at Tim Capello's <laughs> glistening physique. And you said Tim Capello still performs. He's on tour right he's now. He's on tour right now. He actually released a new album. Like, God bless the guy, right? Like, he. He released a new album called Blood on the Reed, and the way he's dressed on the cover of the album is very reminiscent of his his Lost Boys wear. Like, he essentially still wears that, but in, in different colors, but he wears, like, a tank top now. But he still wears, like, kind of, like, a cod piece and, yeah. like, a leather belt and a Amazing. collar. And, and he's, like, touring right now playing saxophone, and he definitely plays, you better believe, I'm sure he plays Lost Boys songs at his All shows. the time. Yeah. That would be what everybody would want to see. I mean, that's why we're here him and you know it and thank you for respecting us and not condescending to us in that way exactly (laughs) so diane weiss lucy sees a help wanted sign in a video store uh owned by this guy max Mm -hmm. the pretty boys from the beginning of the movie the lost boys with Kiefer sutherland walk into the video store and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of tension between them and max Mm -hmm. they flirt with the young lady who's the cashier and she kind of shakes her head and and turns away and actually she was supposed to have a bigger role played by kelly joe minter i think her name is and uh her she's in the credits as maria and she had a few spoken lines there on the cutting room floor and that's most of what remains of her is her just like them coming over to flirt with her and like he literally says what lost boys says we only came here to see one thing <laughs> she just like shakes her head yeah, and rolls her eyes that. yeah <laughs> like she's used to it poor girl oh um so michael follows star and uh sam branches off from him uh, to go to the comic book store where mm-hmm. he now meets the Frog Brothers uh, and Corey Feldman guys think Corey Feldman cruises him. <laughs> he does. Yeah. And then like that little interchange they have where they are, where they approach him and say, you're looking for the diet frozen yogurt stand and went out of business, buddy. Like pretty much like reading, like they read him as queer. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And you were also saying it's kind of like fan canon. Yeah. It, yeah. Sam is queer. It, it, like there are, we'll talk about more of these later on, but there are like a lot of like pretty seemingly overt visual signifiers that Sam in the like comics of the show might be like a a gay teen. Star gets on David's motorcycle and Michael watches them drive away longingly. And mm-hmm. David and Michael kind of make this intense eye contact. And it's played <laughs> like it's for Star. Yeah. But let's be real. It's between David and Michael. There's a simmer like not to say that I don't like or or dislike the plot of romance between Michael and Star, but there is so much more sexual tension between David and Michael than Michael and Star. Oh, absolutely. Like compared to them, it's like a limp like it's like it's almost like he's expressing those sexual feelings that he like with star instead of with his intended recipient star is like a proxy she is she's more like a this movie does not pass the bechdel test like it it has two women by name and they certainly 
it doesn't even come close. They don't think they even exchange words with each other. Yeah. Ever, no, never. Throughout the entire film. Except when she's like, who are you? Yes, at the end. But like, you know, Star, the way she's portrayed, it's, it's pretty waifish. It's pretty damseled. It's pretty not great. Frankly, yeah. I mean, Joel Schumacher even said like he wanted a blonde waif type. He did. He did. Before they cast Jamie Gertz. Mm -hmm. So the next scene is so bizarre. This woman (laughs) and this man are in a car, and Julia was like, "So she gets interrupted. She's getting assaulted, which gets interrupted by her getting murdered because this guy is like trying to force her to have sex." Yeah. And then the vampires rip the hood off the car. I mean, this is you don't see it. Yeah. They didn't have the budget for that. Exactly. Um, (laughs) The vampires rip the hood off the car and take them out of the car and And kill them. them. Yeah. Yeah. Eat them. So Sam goes back to the Frog Brothers who allude to Santa Carla's vampire problem. Yes. And, and they give him a comic and they said, read this and pray. You never have to call us. Our number's on the back, which sounds so like a pickup line. Yeah, it really does. Like, take this. Our number's on the back. Yeah. And Casual Julia life. has that comic. <laughs> <laughs> God, I do. Uh, it's nighttime again. Michael is buying a leather jacket to emulate David. <laughs> Din, it's kind of that thing, that gay thing of like, do I want you or do I want to be you? Mm, so relatable. Yeah, they're like merging. He's like merging with him. Like it's happening even now before he even knows it. Mm-hmm. And Star approaches Michael and they start talking, and David is hella jealous. Of who? Hmm. And drives up on his motorcycle to swoop up Star, who gets on with him. She's reticent, though. She she wa- It's clear in her eyes she wants to go with Michael. Yes. But something compels her to go with David instead. Yes. Uh, and he says he beckons for Michael to join them. And he, uh, Michael says, I can't beat you on that thing. And David says, you don't need to have to beat me, Michael. You just have to keep up. <laughs> Laden with sexual tension. Yeah, it was. It's a hot line. It's a hot line. Yeah, I, I Kiefer Sutherland in this movie is so hot. He is. He's magnetic. Like, he has yeah. this real this gravitas. He has a lot. Like he barely speaks any lines in that movie when you really think about it. Yeah, but his mostly presence. says Michael. Yeah, like he mostly says. He, and no, no, he doesn't say it. He purrs it. He's Michael. Yeah, exactly. He is like almost not even, he's more of a metaphor. An idea. Yeah, he's more of an idea of like this seductive figure, which vampires so often are yeah. in horror movies, oh, yeah. especially representations of queerness, mm. of like this seductive force that beckons you yes. and you're helpless to, you're helpless to it. And it, that's part of the appeal because you don't have to think anymore. You're being hypnotized, like you're being drawn into these seductive tendrils, and <laughs> you don't have to worry about anything. And you kind of like it. Yeah, you like it. I mean, you're also kind of afraid. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, I think that's part of why, like, I will always have a crush on this character because yeah. he's like such a symbol of everything that I identify with and it's kind of I also I don't know if I like want to be I think more for me I want to be him like that's Mm. who I would want to be as a man and I think maybe it sort of like brings up like some of my more complex feelings about my own gender presentation Mm. and I always have just really related to that character Mm. 
So then we get the song. Sail on through the night. Lost in the shadows. <laughs> Where the uh, all the lost boys are on their motorcycles, speeding through the night. It's heavy fog. They're they're racing on the beach, and uh, David almost leads Michael off a cliff. Yes, and you were also <laughs> saying in the sequels oh, they like run God. far too hard with yes. the motorcycle thing. So as much as I feel like there's very much a queer gaze upon this entire film um it's like the lost boys had they had two sequels direct to video because they had no faith in these and they were very low budget the first sequel is worse but i find it more compelling it's called lost boys the tribe and they hired Kiefer sutherland's half-brother angus sutherland to play like the david type role whose name is shane by the way (laughs) and angus sutherland i've never heard the man i mean he's good looking i suppose um but he talks really weird and still kind of like john wayne or something like it's really strange (laughs) like almost like i don't even know um anyways and it's like a bunch of straight dudes were like, you know why everyone loved the Lost Boys? It wasn't like the simmering sexual tension or the beautiful, like, you know, boys. It was the extreme sports. It was this part. It was this scene. It's all about the motorcycle <laughs> race where they go sail up. Like, that's it. And they lean into that and they do this horrible early 2000s, like, X Games surfer bro culture shit. And it's just, oh, my God, you guys, it, I don't recommend that you see this movie like Lost Boys. It'll break your heart. I only saw it because I felt like as Lost Boys historian, like, I had a duty to see it. <laughs> yes, like, I, had to I had to know. I had to know. Yeah. You did the hard work for us. So we don't have to. <laughs> Um, so David Lee almost leads Michael off a cliff and then mm-hmm. Michael wants to fight him. Yeah. Or does he want to fuck him? It's very, it's, I'm going to drive this home. <laughs> like they, the tension between them is just palpable in every scene. It is. And then <laughs> the next scene, they go into this amazing cave, which it, it Julia called it their fuck pad. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was like, here they are. <laughs> and, this is the best vampire cave ever. I want to live in it. Oh, me too. There's a giant Jim Morrison poster on the wall. And you said it, it's a set. It's not a real cave. Yeah, no, no. That was. I mean, I think they filmed, obviously, a real cave for that, like, establishing shot. But the it's not actually in that cave. It was done on a set. And it is, yes, yeah, one of my favorite sets of any movie. It's I've so aesthetic. Seen. Yeah. Yeah. So... We're back in the uh, back at Sam and Michael's house, mm-hmm. and Sam is in bed, and he's got this these kind of these tells in his room. Yes, yes. I mean, well, first of all, the scene starts because Grandpa comes in. He's a taxidermist, which we didn't mention earlier, and they see his room of weirdo taxidermy stuff, and he goes, "Sam, I brought you something to dress up your room with, and it's a stuffed." beaver you guys it's a beaver and he puts it on the nightstand and, and like Corey him as Sam he like pretends like he's like oh thanks grandpa and then he's like just looking at it in like fear and disgust and then as soon as grandpa leaves it he takes the beaver like I literally have written him doesn't like beaver so he puts it away in his closet repl- replete with its sensual Rob Lowe poster on the door <laughs> yeah there's a sexy Rob Lowe like of him in a belly shirt like leaning back and kind of like pulling a shirt and exposing 
moving his abs and it's on the door to the, this boy's closet where there's a beaver and across from yeah, where he's putting the beaver he doesn't want to look at or associate with yeah. deeply within <laughs> and across from Rob Lowe's sensual smoldering is Molly Ringwald and not like a full body shot like a close up of her face from like 16 Candles or something yeah like, like some... what straight boy has that yeah like... <laughs> and then there's there's a reform school girls poster yes campy. we were saying like that's it's more of a a campy yeah kind of thing not like a, a masturbatory aid <laughs> so there seems to be some tells here some like kind of obvious ones uh that sam is a canon gay yeah yeah, yeah for sure and we kind of i kind of said earlier like Corey Haim has died really tragically yes and it's a lot of the things that he struggled with in life was uh, his, the abuse that he was experiencing when he was growing up at this time. So I don't know. I mean, like, I'm, I don't know exactly what the thought is I'm trying to go with here. Like I'm not trying to associate gay men automatically with abuse or anything like that, Mm -hmm. but I'm just thinking about the ways in which, this person was like a symbol for so many things and used for things. And, um, he was vulnerable and he was taken advantage of in ways that continue to this day. Yeah. And he was very like beautiful, Mm -hmm. like classically something that an older man would like find attractive. Oh yeah. Like angelic, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and it's, kind of emotional to see him in, in his 80s movies I mean, yeah. knowing what we know mm-hmm. of what happened so but now we get to the Chinese food scene where Michael's in the fuck pad <laughs> and David is like making him eat this Chinese rice and he's like how do you like those maggots Michael also wait can we talk about for a second how Michael is so white that he doesn't want to eat white rice because that's too foreign for him yeah, he's like, like in this no, scene I'm he's good. like I'm okay I'm okay and then like David literally has to peer pressure him into trying the fucking rice because I guess that's too out of his like mayo sandwich routine yeah. like he just woke and he literally says like come on Michael how can a billion Chinese people be wrong which is like you know he probably shouldn't have said that but it pressures Michael into trying the rice and yeah. then the famous scene occurs where... Yeah, where he, he's like, how do you like those maggots, Michael? And Michael looks down and the race is turned into maggots. And he spits them out and like, all the lost boys laugh at him. Mm-hmm. And it turns back to rice, of course. Yes. So they're like fucking with him. Yeah, and then they have noodles and they make him think the noodles are worms. Yeah. And he's like, they're worms, I won't eat them. And he's like, what are you talking about? They're noodles. And then he eats them and they're just like bullying him. And... Yeah, and one of the vampires says, nice worm. <laughs> yeah. I had Julia, never noticed that before. You know all the vampires' names. What are their names? Okay, so obviously there's David. We all know David. That's Keeper Sutherland. Um, the other blonde vampire uh, is... Paul, played by Brooke McCarter, who sadly passed away a few years ago uh, at age, like, 40 from cancer. So may Brooke McCarter rest in peace. He was really handsome. Um, And, you know, I don't know that he went on to do much. I feel like none of the other Lost Boys, except for maybe Alex Winter, really had much of a career afterwards. But anywho, that's the other blonde Lost Boy. And then the dark-haired Lost Boy, who really looks like Fabio, like, the most, that's Dwayne played by Billy Worth, who also has been on some episodes of Charmed. Oh. He's been a villain on Charmed once or twice. 
Um, and then there's Marco played by Alex Winter, who, you know, is from Bill and Ted fame. Uh, I don't know if that came before or after the Lost Boys, but now Alex Winter, I guess, directs more than anything else. Um, and Marco is like kind of the bitch, like the Lost Boys. We were talking about his sub. sub. Absolutely. Like when they go to the cave, David says, Marco. And he like snaps his fingers, like Marco food. And Marco goes to get Chinese food. And then he's like, Chinese food, good choice. And it's like a bit of like that sort of like good boy kind of thing to it. And then when, um, in a later scene, like David goes, Michael, give me a ride. And he like just pushes Michael or no, um, he goes, Marco, give me a ride. And Marco pushes Kiefer Sutherland around in a wheelchair. And like, they pretend like it's a rollicking good time. He's just like pushing him around the fountain in a wheelchair, but just like at a snap of the fingers, like Marco seems to be the go-to like kind of, you know, the bitch. I know. I want like a, like you said, there's graphic novels based on the movie. There's a couple. Yeah. Yeah. And I, do they explore the other characters more? I haven't read them actually, despite my historian status, I've been meaning to get my hands on them. There was, uh, there was one, there were like both sequels and I think they focused a bit more on the Frog Brothers, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Who cares about that? (laughs) Those Trump supporters. (laughs) Like honestly, in the modern day, Trump supporters. We all know the Frog Brothers that have voted for Trump. We don't want to believe it. But they fucking did. But they did, and they would vote again. So there's like a ton of sexual tension. Mm. David is like, be one of us. Yes. And the wine bottle they have, it's um, which Julian is like, so, so, <laughs> how dare you? Okay. I won't. <laughs> so they, <laughs> they have this amazing wine, this ornate wine bottle um, that they're making Michael drink from. And Star is like, don't drink it, it's blood. <laughs> and Michael, because he's been tripped already, is like, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So he's drinking it, and then we get. Cry, little sister. <laughs> you know, I just had a thought. Perhaps the reason they were punking him like that was to make him susceptible. That's so that what even, I was thinking. I never picked that up. That's yeah. really smart that they yeah. were like kind of grooming him to just drink out of the bottle, even if Star tried to stop them yeah. from like their machinations. Yes. Oh, creepy. So there's like this slow. <laughs> oh yeah, lingering. This is when Marco pushes Keeper Sutherland in the wheelchair, and it looks like because they zoom up to to Jason Patrick's face and he's just like Ugh. And it, look, it literally looks like it could be from a like you know a cut off screenshot from a, a porn like he's getting a blowjob and that's yes. a, his blowjob enjoyment face yes in a porno and and <laughs> cry little sister yes and it which says come to your brother love come. is with your brother yes like come to your brothers <laughs> your brotherhood of fellow sexy gay men yeah cry they bring michael to a uh a bridge a train track bridge Mm -hmm. and they're they it's all like foggy and creepy Mm -hmm. and they horrifyingly jump through this gap in the tracks and they're hanging from the tracks and they're beckoning Michael to come join them and Michael joins them and the train goes over the tracks and it's really really dramatic and David is like you're one of us Michael let go and it's just like so symbolic like let go and join us you are one of us like they recognize one of their own come into the fold like just be who you are like 
Exactly. Very, very queer. Very queer. And definitely something I've actually said to people. I'm like, come join us. (laughs) The gay agenda. Mm. Um... So Michael lets go and lands in his bed and he's got a sequence where he's just falling in place. And it's very obvious that he's just standing and like leaning back and going, ah! And then he like stops in the middle for a really awkwardly long period of time and like looks around like confused. <laughs> and then just goes, ah! And starts screaming again. Um, he puts his shoes on his pillow, by the way, his dirty ass shoes on his own pillow. It's gross. It's bad. Lucy wants to go on a date with Max. Yes. And she asks Michael to stay home. He gives her a hard time, but he says he'll do it. And while he's babysitting Sam, the motorcycle vamps, the Lost Boys surround the house and call for Michael. But when he opens the door, no one is there. Mm. And Sam is like freaked out, and Michael's like, go take your bath. Which I'm like, what kind of straight 15 year old kid goes take a bath with bubbles I'm like, and vintage and vintage music. Yeah, with vintage music and bubbles. I mean, I was doing that, but I was also a homo. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Uh, Michael is like breathing really heavily and going up the stairs. Compelled by some the siren song of Gloria, <laughs> and he's literally singing. Dude, it's horribly off key. Yeah, but it's enough for Jason Patrick for Michael apparently. Yeah, and he's like resisting the urge to go in and just kill Corey Haim and eat him because mm-hmm. and uh, he opens the door and Nanook the dog jumps on him. The faithful family dog. The faithful family dog, and Sam finds Michael bleeding, and it's because Nanook bit him to defend him from Michael. Sam sees Michael in the mirror and he sees that he's becoming like transparent. So he's like, you're a creature of the night, Michael. (laughs) My own brother, a goddamn shit sucking vampire. Yeah. (laughs) Sam calls the frog brothers who tell him to kill Michael and stake Mm -hmm. him through the heart. But, uh, and at the same time, Michael is like kind of asleep Mm -hmm. and he wakes up and he's like, flying he's on the ceiling yeah he cannot get down he can't control it so he's like getting these new powers that he can't control which uh, my major theme here that i have as a note is like the symbolism of uncontrollable sexual urges Mm -hmm. like going through this transformation and not being able to think of anything else and not being able to control your desire and a change in perspective too he's Mm. the world is literally turned upside down he is turned upside down and he can't get back to where he was yeah absolutely and sam calls lucy in a frenzy uh because michael's floating outside the window Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh you know they kind of reconcile sam and michael and michael's like I'm your brother. Like, you know, you gotta, you gotta the same person. I'm the same person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Lucy, Diane Weiss gets home and she's pissed because Sam is like, Oh, it was nothing. I was just scared by a horror comic. Mm -hmm. And Sam has a born to shop shirt on. (laughs) Yes. You'll see it again later in the film, but this is the first appearance of his born to shop. Yeah. It's a shirt that literally says born to shop. And he's also wearing a bathrobe with a a Mondrian print on Mm -hmm. it. So he's a very stylish little twink. Extremely shirts for sizes too big, as was the fashion of the time. Very calm about your name. (laughs) Uh, 
Max walks home alone, and this is the and he has this scene that's which which you know major spoiler obviously this movie's been out for a while. <laughs> uh, it's like a red herring scene you were saying, but you yeah. you had a really interesting thing that you said where so what happens in the scene is Max goes home alone. We see his dog Thorn, mm-hmm. and the we he has like a presumably in this and a scary encounter with the lost boys that kind of happens off screen yeah like it seems like they're like menacing him he hears like like a growling sound then he hears like the sound of like their motorcycles and air whooshes around him and, and a bat kite a bat shaped kite gets like thrown at him and he looks scared and I was saying this is a really effective red herring scene because it's like a half troop. Like Max is genuinely scared of the Lost Boys at this point, even though he's the head vampire, even though he created them, he made them, they're out of control, which he kind of tells Lucy earlier when he first meets her in the video store and the Lost Boys come in, he goes, wild kids, you know, he can't control them anymore, which is why he is, spoiler, you know, targeting Lucy to try to bring her boys into the fold, to bring her into the fold, to mother his boys. So essentially the entire plot of the Lost Boys is a scary him to force poor Diane Weiss into emotional labor for a rich white man. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so I thought that I just thought that was a really interesting theory about why that scene is there. Yeah. Michael bursts into the vampire lair and asks, demands to know from Star what's happened to him, mm-hmm. and they have sex. And then we get again. Cry, <laughs> little sister. <laughs> okay, who did this song? I forget his it name. It was Gerard McMahon, I think. Let me double check it. Marilyn Manson covered this song. Oh, so many covers. Aiden covered this song, which was the official version used for the Lost Boys of Tribe. Oh, Aiden's cover of Cry, wow. Little Sister. Oh. I know, a time capsule if there ever was one. Um, Gerard McMahon, yeah. Who was, who at the time, it was like, he was calling himself like G. Tom Mack. (laughs) He wrote this, he wrote this for the Lost Boys. Okay. Specifically. It's a very like, incest anthem incest <laughs> slash like on gay anthem. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will never get over this song. <laughs> Nor should you. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Oh yeah. Love is with your brother. <laughs> and then, but then he's fucking star. He's not yeah, fucking his exactly. brother. Or is she fucking her brother? That's the note I have here is like star is away from Michael to be close. To David. Yeah. And I mean, it, it also might be true too, that like, he also has an attraction or, or like, you know, he was attracted to star. He can be attracted to both. It's right. both valid, but it also, he feels free to be sexually in sexual contact with star. And he does not feel free to be in sexual contact with David. So it's a bit of like a, yeah, it's, it's like, it's complex. Well, I also think that star and David are more symbols than characters. Yes, that's and true. There is like this heavy symbolism where Star is kind of like this. She doesn't really have a personality. Neither does David. Because no. they're both like archetypes or sim- symbols for something greater. Mm. And I think that Star is a very typical representation of this like soft damsel yeah. that you can project a lot of things onto. And I think Michael, I mean, I think it's just very heavily symbolic. And like, of course, it is problematic that in the end David is the one who ends up being evil and Michael ends up 
you know, with Star. Yeah, choosing the good over. Yeah. No, choosing. in the sequel, they make it canon because the sequel is about. <laughs> the sequel is about uh, Michael and Star's children. They have a boy and a girl. Okay. And they're dead by the beginning of this film in a car crash. Okay. Yeah. That's anticlimactic. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Vampires. I told you. <laughs> Told you it's not a good <laughs> They sequel. survived being vampires. <laughs> so Michael uh, comes home and Lucy's disturbed by his behavior and tries mm-hmm. to talk to him. Lucy and Sam uh, go to apologize to Max because the other night Lucy had to run out on their date because Sam called her in a, in a frenzy to come home. Yeah. And this, you made another interesting point here that the women are like these passive objects. Yeah, in the movie, absolutely. Like they, they seem to exist more as a context of things that are under ownership of other men. Like, you know, where we are reading and seeing and focusing on the queer subtext. And like some, not even subtext sometimes, but the queerness of this film. But you know, a, a more casual viewing might say that like, um, that the tension between Michael and David is fighting over star. Like that's another way that I think that people might also read into the film. Like she's an object to be one. Like David owns her and Michael wants her, but he can't have her because David will not let her go. And she is his for some kind of unknown reason. And then, you know, meanwhile, Max is trying to gain possession over, uh, Sam and Michael's mother because he wants to use her to do emotional labor for him so he right. doesn't have to raise his own boys that right. he <laughs> regrets having apparently. So <laughs> they don't have their own wills. They're just kind of being knocked around by life. Um, and they neither of them, I mean, no one really has like too nuanced of a personality in this movie to be I fair. think the most interesting character, the most fully fleshed character in this movie is Courtney Hayes. You think so? Yeah. Really? I thought I thought that Jason Packer doesn't talk as much, but I, he says so much in his eyes that I thought that he was more nuanced than Sam. Mm. Yeah, nuance, I would give it to Michael, but as in terms of like a fully realized person that I feel like I would know. Yeah, that's true. I it's because like... he's the least cool. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's because he's kind of a dork. Yeah. He and everyone funny. else is either cool or trying really hard to be cool like the frog brothers yeah are. totally so max's dog attacks uh lucy mm-hmm. and they have to run away was she in cujo no she wasn't in cujo okay. but it was a very cujo moment sam enlists the help of the frog brothers and max shows up at the house with flowers and the frog brothers show up at the house and one of the frog brothers has like an nra shirt on yeah, it says why why waltz when you can rock and roll, and then it has like an assault rifle uh, like image below. That's that. really disturbing. The Frog Brothers are alt right, very very alt right, very like proud boy like militia like they're gross. Yeah, I hate those characters, and they want to kill the vampires. They want to kill the homos. Yes, you're right. Max and the Frog Brothers stay for dinner where the boys, they try to determine if Max is a vampire. So, like, they serve him garlic. They throw holy water on him. <laughs> throw holy water on his dick. On his dick. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Michael goes to find Star and runs into David and they press faces together like homosexuals. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, holding his face for yeah. a long time for no reason. Like, there's, it's just unnecessary unless... 
he just wanted to touch him. Right. <laughs> he beckons Michael to come with him to attack the surf Nazis. Mm-hmm. And then we get the goth versus punks battle scene. Oh my god, when you said that, I about died. I was like, goth versus punks. Yeah, they, like, go to this clearing on the beach, Mm -hmm. and the surf Nazis have a bonfire, and they vamp out. This is when we see the vampires' faces for the first time. Yeah. You also said that this influenced the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It did. The Buffy ones had more wrinkles, but this was actually one of the first works of special effects makeup for, like, a vampire face that was more human and more sexy, quote-unquote, and less... Um, you know, monstrous and yeah. scary. So it was actually a really unique thing. Um, the guy who did effects work, his name is escaping right now. I want to say his name is like Greg Cammon or Canham. Um, and he was like a, he went on to work on a lot of other horror films and he kind of invented that sort of look that honestly, really the look of the Vampires of Lost Boy is kind of defines the look of the modern vampire today. They don't look as like bat-like or monstrous. They look more sexy and totally. human-like and, a, and that... A lot of that comes directly from the makeup work that was done in this film. That's really interesting. So they look like they fucked because they had a blood orgy because they killed yeah. the surf Nazis. I mean, they're all panting. Their hair is disheveled. They're, yeah. like, wiping their mouths. It's just like, okay, okay. I just have to tell everybody that I used to read Lost Boys fan fiction like slash fan fiction like, I mean you know I did too yeah like, and I yeah <laughs> and especially like the BDSM gay mm-hmm. ones where like I remember a very specific one where Michael gets like tied up in the vamp cave <laughs> and they like feast on his blood and like he feasts on their blood and like they feast on blood from each other's dicks amazing (laughs) it's really amazing and it was so arousing to me I was like young too I was like 13 Mm -hmm. um god the shit I had access to I mean no one was prepared for the internet no one. No, I mean, no one was no prepared. One. Yeah, and I was also telling Julia during this scene that when I was in high school, I was like really, really goth, as we know, and as we know, like everybody knows. <laughs> yeah. You probably, if you listen to this, you know because I've talked about it before. So, and and I like had had this boyfriend in high school who was in a punk band, and he was like embarrassed to <laughs> his friends because I was goth and he was. The most suburban, like, high school thing. So fucking dumb. Oh, I'm bleeding. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we just paused the recording because we had a very surreal (laughs) moment where Julia just started spontaneously bleeding from her thigh. Like, as we were talking about vampires and blood porn. It was like queer vampire stigmata, like, from an erotic novel just, like, manifested on my body. It was, like, I literally was like, why is my hand wet? Because I had my hand kind of on top of my thigh. I'm like, there's liquid on here, and I turn, and it's just blood. It's a lot of blood, actually. Yeah, that is, we don't have, we have no idea where it came from. I, like, the only thing I think of is that, you know, your family dog was, like, kind of scratching my legs earlier, but, like, that was, like, we've been recording for a while. That yeah. was fully, like, an hour plus ago. It should have not be bleeding at this very juncture, but I guess I'm a true goth. Like, I've never <laughs> felt more goth in my life. Yeah, that was crazy. And I was also, like, about to tell a story about my fucking high school boyfriend who carved the word dick in his chest. And... <laughs> 
Do you remember? I do remember him now. Dick in his chest, but he was like now. Couldn't get through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It was too painful. I remember you telling me this, and I was thinking like, and I also licked it. (laughs) So I also licked the blood off his chest from the word dick, and uh, then you also started bleeding. I started bleeding. It was, it was truly a magical moment. So, anyway, where were we? And this is also the scene in the movie where we're talking about the bloodbath. Yes. So, Michael goes home. Sam is scared of him. Star flies into the house and explains that Michael was supposed to be her first kill. Mm. And this is uh, the other thing, the other question I have. Like, how old are these vampires? It's interesting to think about, right? Like, there are no... What's interesting to me about it, too, is that... We don't really get any information to suggest where any of the other vampires are from. We know that the little boy vampire Laddie um, is must be relatively recent because we see his face on a milk carton earlier in the film. But th- we don't really have a lot of in- indicators of like what time period they're from. In fact, all of the Lost Boys and Star, they all seem very contemporary. They seem like very of the now. Um, but at the same time, it's a little unrealistic to think that... And then maybe that is the problem. Maybe Max turned like... <laughs> four 80s vampire teens at once. I'm like, God damn it. I should have stuck with one. I got greedy. But seriously, realistically, you know, you you would should assume that they're older than they appear, right? Especially David, who seems to be the most powerful one. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting thing to think about in that, like, you know, we think of immortality and being a vampire as, like, stopping death and living forever, being young forever. And what if that also meant, since they were teenagers, they were young forever. Like, your hormones in your brain like aren't mentally, working. Like, yeah. they're mentally teens, like, perma-teens. Yeah. Which is actually thing. really frightening to think about. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Oof. Imagine being, like, stuck in that forever. Especially as a, as a man, like... Oof. Yeah. So grandpa, they're like arming themselves for battle. It's like very subtle. Like we grandpa is like on his own trip. He's in, in the movie. periphery. He's yeah. just doing his thing. Yeah, he's he's very... like gi- nailing these giant stakes in the ground, yes. which is foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Sam and the Frog Brothers and Michael go to kill the Lost Boys in their lair. Mm-hmm. And but they spare Laddie and Star, and they uh, they take them away and out of the out of harm's way. Mm-hmm. They see that the Lost Boys are hanging from the ceiling, and uh, that they don't have coffins, but that the cave is like a giant coffin. And the Frog Brothers stake Marco, mm-hmm. the bitch of the group. Yes, poor little Marco yeah. had to go. And actually, something I learned from this viewing that we because we were looking at some trivia facts afterwards that the in that first scene where you see the lost boys the order that you see them on the carousel is the order that they die in so you see marco first and marco is the first one to die and it actually lines up completely that's so interesting or just like such a like cool like thing that they threw in there Mm -hmm. so the frog brothers they stake there's blood everywhere david gets his hand burned in the fight and he tears up a real tear it was a real tear because Kiefer sutherland's vampire contacts were bothering him and they just kept it in they're like that works it did work Mm -hmm. their blood is glittery their blood is extremely glittery like they look like they just got out of like an edm concert when they run out into the sunshine and they're just they're sparkling yeah. in the sunlight. Yes. 
precursor to Twilight. Michael takes Star and Laddie back to his house, and Sam goes to the video store to get Lucy. She's working there. And the Frog Brothers interrupt a baptism to <laughs> fill canteens with holy water. That's a really funny scene. Mm-hmm. The boys prepare the house for battle, so they're, like, battening down the hatches. Yeah, they're filling the bathtub with holy water. They're smashing a whole bunch of garlic. They're filling little squirt water guns with holy water. Um, a lot of holy water, and uh, they have steaks as well. Right. It's like a classic 80s gearing up for fight yeah. that they do in, like, Stranger Things. Well, yeah, you're welcome, Stranger that. Things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the vamps fly into the night and put those POV shots, and they descend on Star and Michael, and they break through the fireplace, mm-hmm. and then we get some, like, really epic vampire deaths. During yes. this scene where one of the vampires uh, falls into the bathtub full of holy water. Paul, who's the Paul. second one you see on the carousel. Yes. He actually, the Frog Brothers try to corner him and they just get scared because they like squirt him a little bit. And they're like, oh, this is too scary. And then the dog Nanook is actually the one who pushes Paul into the bath full of holy water. And we learn also that garlic doesn't work. So they had all this garlic all over the place. And apparently garlic doesn't work because he goes, garlic don't work, boys. And they're Ooh, like, what about holy water? Death breath. and there's some really good practical effects in this scene too where he's like burning up in the tub he's a skeleton (laughs) with gums the skeleton has gums for reasons (laughs) um and uh yeah blood starts coming out of the sink it explodes the plumbing it's just overflowing with blood Um, that's a great scene the blood sink, sink stuff and it ruins the house. Mm-hmm. The one of another vampire gets electrocuted by the stereo Dwayne. system. Dwayne. Death by stereo. Yeah. And yeah, Corey Haves says, death by stereo. <laughs> um, Laddie goes berserk. Yes. And they're like, it's the attack of any monster. Yeah. <laughs> and Michael and David gay fight in the air, I said. They're just like grappling each other, but not each other's bodies. They're just holding each other's faces, like clutching each other's faces intensely and pushing each other through the air. Yes. And I just wanted to mention also next week, I've already recorded the episode, but next week I'm going to be releasing the episode I have on Jennifer's body, which was heavily inspired by the Lost Boys. And there's also a lot of queer sexual tension in that movie and um there's also a scene where the two main characters have a battle in in the air that looks like they could be having sex uh so that that's an interesting parallel there Mm. and then of course we've also talked about how flying is like a symbol for uncontrollable sexual urges Mm -hmm. so it makes sense that this like really erotically charged fight is happening while they're flying uh, my bl- he says, my blood is in your veins, yeah. Michael. Yeah, and he's like, so is mine. It's just this, like, struggle. And, and and David literally says, I don't want to kill you. Just join us. Like, be one of us. I don't want you to die. Yeah, and a lot of people also feel like this is a, a, a nod to the AIDS epidemic, the AIDS crisis that was mm-hmm. happening at the time, and this, like, shared blood brotherhood like literally a bloodborne illness yeah. and you know it's it, it, it there's a lot of symbolism there going on of like joining this these like the the specters of all of the friends and lovers that have passed <laughs> like joining that fold joining this like twisted sad brotherhood yeah wow i've never heard that interpretation but that actually 
It fits. Yeah, it definitely fits. They actually uh, have to give credit to, again, to our sister podcast, Attack of the Queer Wolf. Uh, I mention them all the time. (laughs) They mention me, and I love them. And they talk about this on their episode on The Lost Boys. Very interesting. I'll have to listen to that. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of good pairings between this podcast and Attack of the Queer Wolf. Very cool. So, Michael impales David on some antlers, some taxidermy stuff that grandpa had Mm -hmm. and this is when he dies and it's the most emotional vampire death he just tosses his head around like five different times before he passes Mm -hmm. in the background Mm -hmm. and the vampire visage fades and and it goes thou shalt not kill it repeats that like two or three times to really hammer it home yeah and (laughs) you know to make him look young and innocent after his death, they, they shaved his beard. Yeah, I always wondered how they got him to look so much younger because when, um, you know, shortly Max comes in and he sort of turns his face and he looks so angelic and innocent and young. And it's sad. And it's sad. And you're like, how? Like, he looks like he looks like a boy again. And I was like, how did they do that? And then I picked up on it. Like, they just shaved his face. Right. Takes. right. And it made him, it took years off of Kiefer Sutherland's face. Yeah. Lucy comes home with Max from their date. Mm-hmm. And Max, this is when we find out that he, he reveals himself to be the head vampire. Yeah. After examining David, he like turns his head and he looks, he looks somber. He looks upset. Yeah. And he turns around and he apologizes to Lucy. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Yeah. And he wanted Lucy to join his... <laughs> family and raise his boys and then he would also turn Sam and Michael so then they would all be like big family and the one Corey Feldman says the blood sucking Brady bunch <laughs> yes he does and doesn't sound too bad to be honest I mean the the bad part is that he's being coerced with violence to yes. join to join Max like he has a, he literally has Sam in a headlock he's choking him and he's like he's like just just come easily like it's so much easier if you don't fight don't fight yeah and he's, he's really fucked yeah, he's choking Sam and in exchange for Lucy. So that's also interesting, too, because um, you just find out that all of this has been about her, really. Yeah, like I said, this whole movie was a scam to trick and force Diane Weiss into giving emotional labor to this man. Yeah, and a lot of this movie hinges on the exploitation of women, even yeah. though there's only two women in the movie. They do a lot of the heavy, like painful like emotional and plot work in this film and we were also kind of talking about the relationship between david and star Mm -hmm. and how star might be there to lure boys into this yeah cult and so she might be a bit because there was a line that was cut from the script where michael's being a bit jealous and he kind of is like trying to be casual he's asking kind of a probing question to star being like well what is your relationship with with david like you guys seem really like you're close you know kind of trying to see if they were if they're together if they're fucking and she responds by kind of saying like oh it's not like that with david like it's not it's, it's not like that with me or any of the boys so like the idea that some might read into it that perhaps star was there to be passed around between the boys like as like a sexual object it's it was like written in the script that that was not really the case and in that case like she could be a lure to bring other boys 
into the fold, into their clutches to attract guys in who they could seduce into vampirism, into eating them, into sex. Yeah. And then, you know, Laddie, you're like, well, why would they turn a little boy? Well, maybe to just keep her occupied while she's not I mean, she was like the mother. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's, she's a mother figure. And it's also kind of ties into like interview with the vampire. Yes. Of like the tortured vampire who doesn't want to be a vampire. Yeah. The Claudia sort of thing. Yeah. And the, you know, the Louis Claudia thing Mm -hmm. and having like a child vampire. Something to like focus your affection. To live for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So then they they battle with Max and he almost wins. Yeah, none of them can stand a chance against him. Like yeah. he just throws them away like they're all garbage. Yeah. And grandpa happens to drive straight into the house at that moment, and one of the stakes from his truck falls and impales Max. Through the heart. Through the heart. Into the fireplace. Into the fireplace and blows up. He explodes in a ball of fire. Yes. And Star, Laddie, and Michael are no longer vampires. Yes, because now the head vampire is killed per the lore that is set up by the Frog Brothers. Yes, and Grandpa just kind of soberly comes into the house, <laughs> like gets a root beer. <laughs> yep. And then he says the last line of the movie, which is what? One thing about living in Santa Carla, I've never good stomach. All the damn vampires. And, it's, it. and they just look shocked and like shell shocked, and it fades to black on like Diane Weist and Jason Patrick and Corey Haim's shocked faces. Yeah, the grandpa was in the know all along. How's your blood? Oh, it's. I think it stopped bleeding. It's really weird, you guys. Like I can barely even see where this blood came from. It's this tiny, tiny little scratch, but it but it bled, bled so much. Like it, there was a. It was like dripping down my leg. It was wild. <laughs> It's so weird. I mean, when I was younger, I always considered myself more of a punk than a goth. And I and like when people call me a goth, I, I like would get like a little wrinkle cut. Be like, I'm a punk, I'm not a goth. But now that I'm older, I'm way more of a goth. And I'm like, I guess the goth life chose me because chose you. my thighs had a you know I had a vampire stigmata moment. You've been embraced, as they say. I'm a child of the darkness now. Yeah, exactly. And rice. Yes. I'll I'll be you know giving you my. I follow her on Twitter. It's. It's a time. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, never mind, Anne Rex. Maybe, maybe She's later. Like not horrible. <laughs> She's like, um,. Just really, like, she's constantly talking about the presidential election. I'm like, girl, Uh, you right. Is she right? Vampire erotica. No, she's, she's like, super, she's liberal. Okay. But she's, like, neoliberal. She's she's not, like, a a leftist or anything. I was just worried that she might be, like, secretly, like, a Trump supporter. I mean, you never know. No, no, she's not. But she she has this weird, kind of, like, incestuous Twitter relationship with her son. Yeah, she's always trying to, like, pump up his stuff. Yeah. I almost read one of his novels because it was... It gave, they gave it away free on Kindle. <laughs> it actually sounded interesting, but like, I don't know. Like, Stephen King's children have the decency to like use different names so they're not just riding their dad's coattails, just saying. I know. And they, but they also just like have the weirdest, like, they talk. I mean, I, I'm one to talk. Like, I'm wild <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, follow me there. Did you want to say anything else about this movie, Julia? Um, only that. I know, like, this objectively is not exactly, like, the finest film ever made, but something oh, in my great. heart and in my body makes it so. And I, I can't, I couldn't, I really, like, one of the biggest mysteries in my life is, like, why am I so obsessed with The Lost Boys? Is it just familiarity? Like, I don't know, guys. I mean, it's a great movie. It's like, great it has, movie. it encapsulates everything that was really great about 80s horror. Yeah, and 80s fashion. 80s fashion, yeah. I mean, like, and subculture. When I think of 80s vampire movies, 
I say like that's like a normal thing. And there's there's a beauty. There's Fright Night. There's like there's I think a, of Fright Night. I think of Lost near, Boys. I think of The Hunger. Near Dark was around near too. Dark. Um, I think those were the major ones. I'm sure there were more. Yeah, but I those are the ones I really think of. And when I think of queer vampire movies in general, this is one of the first ones that comes to mind. And um, like for me, it would be like Lost Boys, Interview with the Vampire, The Hunger, mm-hmm. um, Three Dom- of the Absolute Best. Yes, exactly. Like and then like some of the more obscure ones like daughters of darkness and Mm. vampire lovers and um you know all so many of the lesbian vampire movies that i love but when i think of like gay men and vampires or queer men and vampires i think of lost boys i think of interview with the vampire Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean this is a important vampire movie and it also changed like you were saying, the faces of vampires, like before this, I'm thinking of like Fright Night, mm-hmm. the vampire faces were much more monstrous. Yeah. And now this is when they start to get like sexier. Like just, just overtly, like completely, like no pretense, like just sexy. Yeah. Like sexy beast. Exactly. And then like by the time we get to the 90s with the interview with the vampire, they don't really have any deformities at all. Just the fangs and the yeah. different colored eyes yeah. and the pallor. Yeah, exactly. So that has been the lost boys julia if you want people to find you on social media where could they find you uh i don't post a whole lot but i am on instagram um and my handle is ghosts of stars all plurals so pretentious ghosts with an s of stars <laughs> and as always you can find me on instagram and twitter as girls guts giallo you can also find my patreon patreon.com slash girls guts giallo you can send me an email at girlsgutsjallo at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm Annie Rose Malmet, and this is Girls, Guts, and Jallo. See you next Friday. So clear.